Amen. Uh, good morning again. It is great to be with you. Uh, indeed, this is, uh, this is the final week of our uh, sermon series, uh, reading through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, today we're going to hit the final line. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you might think, well, what about that last bit, right? The, you know, uh, the, the glory and the power and all, for thine is the kingdom. And the uh, so it turns out uh, your King James Version might have that in there, but most, uh, the vast majority of translations actually don't have that in the original prayer. It probably comes from 1 Chronicles 29.11. If you want to go down a, a YouTube rabbit hole or a, a, a Wikipedia rabbit hole or whatever, uh, head, head straight down there after the service. Uh, but we're going to end uh, where Jesus seems to end, uh, which is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, before we get there, let's begin with prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, this morning we open our hearts to you. God, we lean into you. We ask that whatever defenses we bring this morning you lower them down. Whatever hurt and pain, whatever baggage is in the backpack of our lives, that we put that at the door and that we walk into your presence, that you reveal yourself in a mighty way in this time that we have together, that you open us up in new ways, that those pieces of our hearts that have been held here within us, that, they, that we open them and that we give them over and that you might take all of us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. We need to talk about chat GPT. <clears throat> why? Why? Why not? Uh, I, get a, I get a joke that's aimed at me a lot, uh, and I want to settle something right now. Uh, do I write my sermons with ChatGPT is one of these jokes I get a lot. And I want to assure you, I've never and will never use it to write a sermon, except for like about three minutes as to what's about to follow here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you haven't made friends with the robots yet, you're going to want to uh, because they're getting super smart uh, and it's, the world's changing really rapidly. Uh, and I think as Christians, we need to be on top of like, what's happening uh, in this specific sphere of technology. I, I actually do believe, and this is just kind of my personal opinion here, this isn't like a theological opinion, so take it for what it is. I think we're living through uh, a certain revolution uh, that we're just on the cusp of. And it's only going to pick up. And uh, again, as Christians, however, I think we need to have our eyes wide open as to what's happening in the world. Uh, I think there's some things that are amazing about it. And then there are some things that should strike fear uh, in our hearts. And we've got to hold all these together uh, and walk wisely through them. Anyway, so Chad GPT. So I was getting ready for the sermon this morning. And um, I, a, f- a number of weeks ago, for my daughter's um, open house, I was in her, uh, she doesn't know this yet, but uh, her first hour class, uh, which is a creative writing class, and I look on the wall, I, I may have said this in another service, and I apologize if I have, but I don't think I did. 
Uh, and on the wall was a little poster, and the poster says, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, right? That's what the poster says. Uh, and it's, I was like, oh, that's, that's catchy, you know? Uh, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, right? Uh, so then I, uh, I'm getting ready for this sermon uh, today, uh, which is a little bit about dealing with uh, life's troubles and, uh, and how we might pray around that. And as I was doing so, I prompted ChatGPT the following, and I'm, I'm quoting verbatim, and um, I, I have the proof sitting right here. This is my screen grab. And I say to ChatGPT, there is a phrase on my daughter's teacher's wall that says, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. How would you recommend learning to surf? Can I just stop for a second and say, that is a complex question, right? That requires uh, a robot to be uh, somewhat intuitive how it answers it. I've asked the robot, how do I surf? That's not really what I'm asking though. And somehow this brilliant machine offers up the following. And I'm not gonna read all of the things it said because there's actually a list of 12. But it is worth saying some of the things that it says here, it says the following, if you can't read it. The phrase, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, is a great metaphor for dealing with the challenges and uncertainties of life. Learning to surf, metaphorically, involves developing resilience and adaptability to navigate the ups and downs effectively. Here's how you can recommend learning to surf in the context of facing life's challenges. Okay, wow, uh, first of all. And then, and I'm not going to read them all, I'll just read you the, the top line of each one. Acceptance, mindfulness, emotional intelligence, resilience, problem-solving skills, seeking support, adaptability, self-compassion, setting goals, learning from experiences, gratitude, and staying positive, right? So this is uh, the, the robot's suggestions, all of which are great, by the way. Uh, and then it concludes this way. By instilling these principles and practices, your daughter can learn to surf through the waves of life with resilience and grace, building the skills necessary to face whatever challenges come her way. Again, the robots are getting brilliant, folks. Uh, you're going to want to pay attention. Uh, my sermon, however, is not going to build on the 12 suggestions uh, that uh, ChatGPT has given me. Uh, because that would be cheating. <clears throat> I'm not going to cheat this morning. I actually have another direction. And it, um, it does have to do, however, with the sorts of things it says. And, and by the way, I, I, I should say, like, all of those, like, I would place those in the bucket that says, these are great ideas, right? And you should try to implement those. And, and as the waves of life indeed are, are crashing in on you, uh, learning to be resilient in those kinds of ways is tremendously helpful. I, however, am a pastor, and so I come at this uh, slightly differently. And so if I were to add a 13th answer uh, to this, it would be the following. The top line would read, follow God's lead. And then the explanation of it would be as follows. Center yourself in a daily relationship with the divine, seeking God's voice in your life, passionately pursuing God in both the light and in the dark, and anchoring yourself to a higher power 
and a higher purpose that will keep you pointed in the right direction when the waves come crashing in. In the end, uh, I think what we are pointing at is a matter of hope, it's a matter of faith, it's building a life in which your faith and your hope sustains you through the times that try men's souls. Now, as we get started today, a proper beginning, <laughs> uh, we have a nerd alert moment, uh, and uh, it has to do with a definition of one of the key terms that's in the phrase today. Um, the word is temptation, and it says, lead us not into temptation, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad translation. It actually is a fine translation. It's a good translation. It's just that the word itself, if you want to Greek out for a moment, it's parasmos. And uh, that word is, is actually a, it's a broader term. And it means a few things. It means things like temptation, yes, but like a testing or a time of trial or even tribulation. And so as we're thinking this morning about what's happening here, well, I guess just a couple verses to kind of show you how this exact word shows up in our scripture, a couple other places to show you kind of the, the nuances that this word can take on. James 1, uh, 2 to 3, uh, looks like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Or, I mean, technically, they, they could have translated it as temptations, but trials, right? When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, right? And here the point is that this trial is a sort of test, it's the same idea, right? All of this is kind of wound up together. And so when we normally hear the word temptation, we think in moral terms, moral categories, and we say a temptation to sin. Um, and it can mean that, most definitely. It does mean that in a variety of places. But it can also just simply be a trial that we meet in life, that, that we don't actually, nobody wants to meet the trials of life, right? The waves that crash in. But we should, uh, as James says, meet it with joy because in the testing of our faith we find steadfastness. Or again, another passage, 1 Peter 1, 6-7, same word, uh, also translated as trial here. Uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, right? These trials have grieved you so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that both of these, the James passage and this First Peter passage, uh, get connected to faith, right? And that the trial that one finds oneself in is a definite test of one's faith. Do you trust is the question behind all of this. Even when the waves are crashing, do you trust? Uh, we had a Sunday school class this morning, which is kind of about this as well. Like when, uh, when the lament time comes, do you lean into God or do you push away, right? Temptation, trial, tribulation, Testing, these are all categorized, these are all parts of what this word is that we're talking about this morning, that we're asking God, lead us not into 
trial. Lead us not into tribulation. Lead us not into a testing. Jesus, by the way, is tempted in the desert. Say, oh, these are all the same words. He's tempted in the desert. And then again, so is Israel and Elijah and Paul. And, and the same word, though, is Jesus being tested by the Pharisees and by the leaders uh, of his day. And, and Jesus comes to a time of trial at the end of his life. And, and yes, the actual trial, but really a, a, where he is, he is tried uh, and, and where his, um, he, he is coming up to his death. And he says to his disciples, I'm so glad you're with me because I have come into my time of trial. And even in, in the book of Revelation, uh, it gets connected to this word that is, that is tribulation, right? Trial and tribulation are sitting right there together. And so when we come back to the Lord's Prayer, a, an appropriate way to think about it is to say, lead us not into trial, God. Lead us not into a time of testing, but deliver us from evil. I don't know about you, maybe that doesn't feel any different. That felt like to me. It feels very different. Because it's one thing to say, don't tempt me, God, right? And then it's a whole other thing to say, spare me from this time of trial, from this tribulation, from this thing that keeps happening to me. Spare me. Deliver me from that evil, right? Or to say it maybe like the wall of my daughter's classroom, lead us not into the waves of life, but when they come, teach us to surf and deliver me from evil. Over the course of the last weeks, <clears throat> I've noticed myself turning back again and again um, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we used it uh, a number of weeks ago now, and then we used it a second time. Um, and you're going to have to forgive me because here we are, it's a third time. And I just, I, I think there's something here uh, that cannot be missed. And I think there's a connection between the way the Lord teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer and what happens in that Gethsemane moment, the night before he's crucified, when he is praying and he's kind of embodying prayer at this point? And there's a connection in my mind for a number of reasons. One is that he is passionate. Jesus is passionate in this moment. This is uh, not a dispassionate. Sometimes we, especially with the Lord's Prayer, where it's like a rote thing, where we just kind of say it, and you can get into the habit of saying something. It feels just like it rolls off the tongue. When we're in the Gethsemane moment, Jesus is praying with, he's sweating drops of blood right? He is crying out on his knees, God, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this, is what he's saying. And so we find in that moment a, a passionate Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my life, there are times when I want to and need to be passionate with God. I don't want the rote memorization of a Lord's Prayer I want the passionate prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane. A few other reasons why I think this keeps coming into my mind uh, is that it is, of course, an example uh, of prayer in real time, right? A passionate prayer. 
That it's not just like, hey, here's some good ideas of things you can pray. This is an actual prayer that was actually said in Jesus' own life, and we watch him doing it. We watch him embodying this. I think also Jesus is with his friends, and there's something about that. He's, he's now, in that moment, he's not just like teaching them to pray with his words, as like a good teacher would up in front of a classroom. He's teaching them to pray, again, in an embodied kind of way. And this feels different to me, at least. But perhaps the key of why I keep coming back to this is that Jesus prays this exact prayer. He says to God, take this cup from me. This is what he prays, right? He says, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. And admittedly, he ends it with, but not my will, yours. You remember this, right? Are we all on the same page? So, so he comes, and we're going to read through it in a moment here, but he comes to God and he says, I don't want to do this. Take the cup from me. Not my will, yours be done. And, and he's essentially saying, lead me not into this time of trial. Is that not what he's praying here? Lead me not into this time of trial. I don't want to go into this time of trial. And then the key here is, is that God's answer is no. It's hard to say that out loud, and it's probably hard to hear that. We don't like to think of God answering our prayers with a no. That's essentially what happens here. Um, If you want to look in Luke 22, you can open up, and we're going to read through it. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen as well here. Luke chapter 22 is this Gethsemane scene. Um, They're at the Mount of Olives and um, it starts like this in verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Right, here's the phrase, right? Like, lead me not into temptation. And, and just to be clear, like, pray, you can translate this, pray that you will not fall into trial, is, is another way, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, right? If that's your desire, if this is what you want, it's not a if you're able, God is able, but if your, desi- if your will, which by the way, of course, also connects with what? Well, the earlier part of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. And he says, if it's your will, I'll take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It gives me comfort to know that my Lord and Savior um, has some of these emotions up in him somewhere, right? That he uh, needs an angel from heaven to appear and to strengthen him that he is in anguish, that he needs to pray even more earnestly, so much so that sweat was like drops of blood falling 
to the ground. This is quite the passionate scene, is it not? Today I return to the scene uh, of Gethsemane because the word temptation shows up in a way that uh, I found utterly fascinating. And this is how I got into it, I should say. Uh, And I think I've actually missed this angle of the Gethsemane scene until this week. And I'm going to guess that you missed it too. Uh, And so we're going to try to get us both there at the same place. You see, Jesus bookends uh, his time of prayer uh, with a call to his disciples uh, to pray against temptation, which we see right here in verse 40. He's going to say it again just a couple verses down the road. Now, uh, as he does so, I always thought the temptation that they're trying to avoid is sleep, right? Because they fall asleep. This is what happens. Uh, and, and maybe it is. And I'm not saying that's like a bad uh, reading. I just think there's another reading of this passage. And it's one that I want to share with you. Um, instead of taking this as a temptation, it's possible that he is encouraging them to pray against their own trials, their own testing. And so after Jesus returns from his uh, encounter with God, where he is crying out, and it seems that God says no, and then he gets ministered to by the angel, he sweats the blood, he returns to his friends, and they're all asleep. Luke, the writer, goes on, and he's actually quite kind to the disciples. And so in the very next verses, it goes like this. When he rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. The the disciples here are asleep, yes, but why is the question? Because they have an idea of what's about to happen and they are exhausted from sorrow. I don't know about you, uh, have you ever been so sad in your life, so sorrowful, to use this word, that you just want to sleep, that you just say, I'm done, I just need to go to bed, I know it's only 6.30, but uh, it's time for night. Uh, This is what we have here, right? His friends who are exhausted from sorrow just needing to sleep. And Jesus returns. He might be angry with them, by the way. He certainly has every right to be angry with them. But at least Luke has a little compassion on them by including this phrase, exhausted from sorrow, as an explanation of why they're asleep. But again, let's not stop there. Let's keep going. Jesus asks the question, why are you sleeping? And then he says to them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Same phrase, right? Saying the same thing. And here's my take on this. What Jesus very well might be saying is he's saying something like the following. Friends, I just prayed to God what I taught you to pray. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into a time of trial and testing, but deliver me, is what I prayed to God. Take this cup from me. I was passionate. I sweat blood. I do not want to do this, but I'm here for God's will, not mine. 
And to that, God told me, no. Now is the time of your testing. Now is the time of your trial. But you, friends, this is what I see him saying here, you, pray to God. Don't stop praying. You must pray. Pray that God will not lead you into your time of trial, into your temptation. Pray that this just be about me in this moment. There's still time for you. Keep praying. I am about to face the greatest trial of my life. But you keep praying that God will deliver you from evil in this moment. If this reading's right, then what we have in this moment is a Jesus who is still concerned about the ones he loves. He understands that his time has come and now he is continuing to minister to them saying, I want the best for you and I pray that this is not your time of trial. Get up and pray so that you will not have your own time of trial. I have to think that when we rewind the tape and we find Jesus in a scene with his disciples and he's teaching them how to pray and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he proceeds to teach them the Lord's Prayer. And he knows this moment's coming. I have to think what we have there is not the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We have a Jesus who is passionate. The passionate Jesus of Gethsemane who knows that he is wrestling with God. He is commanding the God of the universe to show up. He is saying something like the following. God, I need you. I am desperate and in desperate circumstances. Do not lead me into another test. I don't know if I can make it. Deliver me from evil. Pick me up out of this evil place and set my feet in the land of the living. Do not lead me into the wilderness where I might die. Lead me to the promised land. Demonstrate your goodness and love and power and might by not forcing me down this path that I do not want to take. Have you ever prayed with that passion? Have you ever given yourself freedom to pay, pray with that kind of passion? If so, you're not unlike David, the psalmist, right? We get a window into his life, his, his frankly passionate prayer life. And we had some of that this morning in our Sunday school class. A passionate prayer life where he is crying. God, where he is saying hard things to God, like, God, where are you? Don't hide your face from me. We can hear some anger in there, but we also find in there, as we discussed this morning in Sunday school, it's remarkable. Last week, by the way, if you remember, connected with Sunday school as well, what we hear in David is not just the anger, it is a sensitivity to God's prompting, is a, as, as we discussed, it's a leaning into God and saying, I, I, I still believe, I, I want to believe. Like, show up. 
I, I need you to show up in this moment, God. And it's a passion. And so Jesus, I think, is, is telling us, as he teaches us to pray, God, keep us from the testing place, the temptation place. Keep me out of the wilderness. But as we all know, sometimes the waves come anyway. It's in this moment we would, be, uh, we would do well to be reminded of, of how prayer actually works. And, um, and I probably should have said this uh, a long time ago, uh, so forgive me. Uh, but God does sometimes say yes, and those are awesome moments, right? When we pray and we get that yes, and, 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 we, and life unfolds exactly how we want it to, but, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get a no, and sometimes, sometimes we get a wait, right? There's yes, and there's no, and then there's wait, I think I might prefer no to wait, by the way. I I don't know. I prefer yes to them all. but uh. God, no matter what, however, wants our prayer. God wants our passion. I'm certain of that. He wants us to be desperate for a relationship with him. But that does not mean we always get what we want. And so like Jesus in Gethsemane, we sometimes get a God who says no. And it is our job to learn to say, like Jesus, thy will be done, not mine. There are times in life where we ask God to keep us from this time of trial. And uh, my advice to you uh, would be um, to come to God with your passion, right? As, we've, as I've been saying. And um, I would say it this way, though. We should consider coming to God with our passion, not just on that one occasion where it's like filled us up, but maybe try again the next day as well. And then, frankly, the next day after that and, and the day after that. And I think, actually, that becomes a test as much about God's willingness to respond to whatever passionate prayer you might have on a given day as it is to whether or not you're actually really passionate about that prayer. Because it's one thing to have all the emotion in a given moment. And then it's a whole other thing to have that same passion in the moment the next day and the day after that and the day after that, right? And so as we come to God, and we bring to him our cares and our concerns. And, and as we say things like, God, deliver me. I need you to deliver me. It's important that we show up the next day and we say the same thing. And we then say the same thing the following day. Because what sometimes happens in those moments is that we realize, well, maybe I wasn't actually as passionate about this as I thought I was. And maybe I was just like whipped up in the moment. And that, in reality, I, I really don't care quite as much as I, I thought I did. So sometimes God says yes. And sometimes God says no. And then other times, God says wait. What we do in these times, I think, tells us quite a lot 
about ourselves more than it says about God. If you've cried out to God, lead me not into this trial, and God keeps saying, wait, let me encourage you to keep praying. Keep passionately advocating for your need, for your friend's need. You will learn just how much you actually desire what you're asking for. You will learn how much you really expect God to intervene, and you will learn just how much you rely on your prayers to guide you through life. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. I chose the New Testament passage for today that I did because uh, it's the calling of Matthew. I chose it for the simplicity of it. Jesus simply says, and he says it in a number of places, follow me. And then Matthew follows him, right? Follow me. If there's one thing about this line, lead me not into temptation, that we should be starting with, is that it implies that we're actually following Jesus. And that we are actually in a relationship where we are passionately pursuing God and the way of Jesus. And so we may not be able to stop the waves of life. But if we learn to follow Jesus, his teachings, his life, his heart, the road he walks, then we have a pretty good shot of learning how to surf. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, in times of trial, we need you we may not be given the answer we want. And sometimes it is a no or a wait. God, our prayer this morning is that in those times you supply us with that angel, that you give to us your presence, that you support us through those times so that indeed we might be able to pray with your son, not my will, but your will. God, for the person this morning who's thinking, man, I've been praying for a long time and my trial keeps sticking around. God, to that person, be present. Be present in uh, the face of another, in a word from scripture, in a song, in a moment in the day, somehow, some way, Lord, show up in their lives. And for that, we will give you thanks and glory and praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen.